0: O Lord, our shepherd, help us to receive and live by your grace. Amen. Last Sunday, I preached about how we read scripture, particularly when it is a difficult text. A week ago, the text was the passage Just before today, it's often called the Parable of the Talents. A master was going away and gave money to three of his slaves. Two of them doubled the money, but one buried it in the ground to make sure that his master's money would not be put at risk. When the master returned, he praised the two who gained money and called the other one a worthless slave and ordered him to be thrown into the outer darkness. That is a tough parable. And what makes it tough is that it's not clear how we are supposed to interpret it. Is God the master or not? Is the parable one that encourages speculative risk-taking and shady economic practices? Are returns on investments really the metric that we should be paying attention to? How does throwing someone into the outer darkness square with the gospel message? Of grace and mercy that's a difficult parable to understand well today we are presented with a parable that has the opposite problem the parable of the sheep and the goats as it is often called is seemingly really easy to understand take care of the least of these or else And anytime we read a passage of scripture and think yeah yeah i know this one i even have it on a bumper sticker Well, then we need to be open to the possibility that we might be missing something. These are the two traps that we fall into when reading the Bible. Difficulty in understanding hard passages or misunderstanding seemingly easy or familiar ones. The story about the king on the throne who separates the sheep from the goats based on their attention to those in need is a passage we've likely heard before. Even if you can't recall ever hearing this passage of scripture before, you have seen it in action. It is the foundational biblical passage for what is often called the social gospel. It's the go-to passage for activists, charity leaders, and justice advocates. This parable is used by politicians when they argue for expanding Medicare, immigration reform, or social safety net programs. Now to be very clear, Caring for those in need is not at all a bad thing. On the contrary, it is a good and holy thing. It's just, that's not what this is a parable about. God did not intrude into Mary's life, walk around Galilee calling disciples, die on a Roman cross, and rise from the dead only to tell us, hey, could you be nice to each other? Because when we reduce the meaning of this passage to take care of people when they are in trouble, we miss out on the radicality of the gospel that this parable is all about. Jesus is not primarily a great teacher. Yes, he was a great teacher. But Jesus' message was not, here are ten easy steps to having a better society. No, Jesus is the Christ the Messiah, the Savior, who did for us what we could not do for ourselves, namely fulfilling the commandments. Our problem is not ignorance. It is stubbornness, selfishness, and fearfulness. It's not that we don't know that we're supposed to help people who are in need or forgive people when they wrong us, or be generous with our resources. No, we struggle to actually do those things. It is as St. Paul puts it in one of his letters, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Jesus is our Savior, who liberates us from the consequences of these sins, from the burdens of following laws that we cannot keep and from the impossibility of having to justify ourselves before that throne of judgment. When we we read this as a parable about Jesus, who is Christ our King, instead of Jesus, the wise storyteller, then we are put in a place where, instead of claiming to understand it, we can stand under the shelter of Jesus' grace. But we prefer that simpler misunderstanding of the parable though as a short story with a simple moral at the end be kind but again to state the obvious jesus was not condemned by religious leaders and executed by the government because he went around telling people to be nice no he was challenging everything about what true power looks like he was upending the tyranny of merit and deserving He was ushering in a kingdom that threatens to undo the injustice that so many of us benefit from we would rather have the golden rule than the gospel because with commandments and rules to follow we can at least pretend like we've been good enough and deserve all of the good things in life and when others have misfortunes we can just blame them for not following those rules Our society is a meritocracy, where input leads to output, where actions have consequences, where you get what you deserve and deserve what you get. Do unto others is written into our psyche, and we like that because it's predictable and it seems fair. The gospel, on the other hand, is wildly promiscuous and prodigal instead of being a message for the earners and the doers which we all are the gospel is for the losers and the weak things we would rather not be the gospel does not tell us what we have to do rather it tells us what has been done for us this is a message you've heard me preach before it's the message of grace and i'll tell you from experience the criticism that comes back is either yeah but what do we have to do or But that's not fair, exactly. The gospel is deeply unsettling because it cuts against everything that our society values. And so we killed the messenger on a cross and domesticated his message to be nice, instead of come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. More than being about what we do or do not do, this is a parable about who, we trust. When it comes to our salvation and what we deserve, do we trust God or ourselves? To be very clear, and again on the record, works of charity matter and they are important. I am not saying that what we do makes no difference or is unimportant because love always matters. However, it is as Martin Luther said God does not need your good works but your neighbor does. Feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, tending to the sick, visiting the imprisoned, that is holy work. And I am not discouraging any of that in the slightest. We do those things, though, because those in need are our brothers and sisters, and we have an obligation to one another. These acts of charity, though, are not the basis for whether or not God loves us or whether or not the cross is efficacious in our lives. And there's an important detail in this passage that points us in the direction of grace, that tells us that this is not a parable about the rewards of being a do-gooder. Both groups, both the sheep and the goats, both those who served those in need and those who did not, have no idea that they have been attending to or ignoring their king. The sheep, did not serve those in need because they knew that in serving them, they were serving Jesus. Likewise, the goats did not think they were neglecting their king. Both groups were simply living according to the values that they had adopted. The sheep were not expecting a reward. The goats certainly were not expecting any punishment. That ignorance is the hinge on which this passage rests. When the sheep are informed that they had been serving their king, they ask, When was that? They did not puff up their chest and say, Yeah, that sounds about right. They didn't even know that anyone had seen those good deeds. They were not trying to meet a standard, pass a test, or earn credit. They were simply, as best they could, walking in the way of love. And they were told, Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's a podcast that I listen to, and one of the questions they ask all of their guests is when you get to heaven, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Most people, disappointingly, answer as if they were goats and say, well done, good and faithful servant. The thing is, none of us are saved or loved because we are good or have been particularly faithful. The thing that I hope to hear when I meet God face to face is what Jesus tells us that the Son of Man will say to us. Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Do you hear the difference there? The difference between well done and come, inherit. Well done is the golden rule. It's about what we've done and deserved. And I am so grateful that because of the grace and love of God that I will not get what I deserve. Instead, I hope to hear that invitation. Come, inherit. Is an inheritance earned? Of course not. An inheritance is something given as a pure gift because there is no way to show reciprocity for an inheritance. Now, yes, today, when we think about an inheritance, we might misunderstand. Because we have attorneys, courts, last wills, and testaments that complicate inheritances. In Jesus' time, though, an inheritance was different. It was not a decision that anyone made about who would receive what percentage of their earthly goods when they were gone. No, it was simply a given that the inheritance would go to the descendants in a very predictable order. You no more earned an inheritance than you earned your birth because we are children of god we are inheritors of the kingdom by grace we do not earn our salvation which means that we cannot lose our salvation we do not have to deserve god's love it is given as a gift a gift that we can never undeserve but well done is transactional this for that it's about deserving whereas come (coughs) inherit is a gift free from all strings. It's about grace. Well done is about us. Come inherit is about God. Our sinful and selfish instinct though, is to focus on us, what we deserve, and by extension, what they do not deserve. Deserving very quickly devolves into comparing, competing, and judging An inheritance, though, that is something to use, enjoy, and share. The goats, when they were told that they had ignored and neglected their king, protest. When was it that we did not do what we were supposed to be doing? When was it that we did not earn our salvation? But the goats, it was all about them. What do I have to do? By contrast, the sheep had been participating in the inheritance all along. For the sheep, it was about knowing and trusting that they were a part of the family of God. And therefore, they treated one another accordingly. One theologian has put it this way. Heaven and hell are both full of forgiven sinners. The difference is, in hell, they don't think they deserve to be there. In heaven, they know that they don't deserve to be there. This passage concludes chapter 25 of Matthew. And what begins with the very next verse is the passion of Jesus, the holy drama in which the inheritance of our salvation unfolds as Jesus does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He fulfills the commandments, atones for our sins, and conquers the grave. Our salvation is such a tremendous, beautiful, and lovely gift. But we will miss it if we are worried about whether or not we have done enough to deserve it, or if we're keeping score to see if we have done more than they have. The love and grace of God are something to use, something to enjoy, something to be lavish with, because we don't ever need to worry or wonder if it's going to run out. Wasting our lives trying to earn that which we have already inherited is such a sad reality to be trapped by. Imagine how you might be liberated by knowing and trusting, as we heard in Ezekiel, that the Lord is our shepherd who takes care of us and blesses us Not because we've been good enough, or nice enough, or thin enough, or industrious enough, or rich enough, or smart enough, or anything enough. But rather because we are a part of the beloved community of God's flock. You are enough. That is your inheritance. And so all of those other bad shepherds out there who tell us that we need to do more and be more, they are liars. And from that sense of enoughness, we are then freed to attend to the needs of others in the flock. They are not projects. They are not check boxes that we use to earn our salvation. Rather, they are fellow inheritors. They are those who have gifts and blessings that we will need in our times of neediness. They are a part of our flock. We misunderstand this parable if we hear it as a lesson about getting what we deserve or giving us our marching orders. Instead, it is an invitation to trust in God's goodness more than our good deeds. To enjoy being in the flock instead of thinking it's our job to be the guard dog at the sheepfold, to be nourished in the pastures of God's love instead of foraging for our own food. Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Therefore, let us keep the feast.